we would just walk around stores and go, right, this is a huge category that I think has looked the same for like 20 years. The best brands sort of sit at that confluence between vision, opportunity, and desire. Simon, you are a personal care entrepreneur extraordinaire. So you um, <laughs> look like you wanted to say something there. <laughs> I was having a sip of water. That's a lovely yeah. introduction, thank you. So uh, you've gone from accounting to blue chip to uh, inventing one of the UK's largest men's skincare brands, uh, Bulldog uh -huh. Skincare. Um, I think that is doing over a hundred million now globally in sales. I think I actually think sort of the last time I checked in with the team, it's probably about 150 million worldwide, 35 countries. Been a cool journey, um, way yeah. bigger than perhaps we thought it might be. Yeah, and 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 you had a successful exit with that in 2016. I know you sold that to um, Edgewell uh, Personal Care. Correct. Um, and um, and I know you got some of your you know background and in innovation from Saatchi and Saatchi, and um, and now you're one of the co-founders of Wake and Mouthcare. Um, which mm -hmm. I think you started in 2019, right? We launched in 2000, and yes, we started in January 2019, launched in November 2019 in stores over here in the UK. Okay, and you even developed curriculum for the um, entrepreneurship and innovation, um, I guess, section at the, the New College of the Humanities, right? So quite that, a lot. That, that, yeah, that was something I really wanted to do. I know I did that for seven years. It was a really cool university concept. They were trying to combine the best bits of the Ivy League in the US and the Oxford Cambridge tutorial based system over here but they also wanted to take humanities subjects and make sure that people left um, having studied humanities subjects more employable and that's where entrepreneurship became part of their overall program and I developed the the curriculum and taught that for seven years and that was seriously cool to have a go at teaching and try something different and and spend time with younger people because because I think entrepreneurship is such a a fascinating and brilliant thing to do and it is really underserved by the education system so that was you know a personal passion project but let's start there were you were you born an entrepreneur um i think i always had an entrepreneurial leaning like i was always trying to come up with schemes to to make a little bit of extra pocket money but you know i've always admired people you know like the mark zuckerberg who is able to you know maybe maybe he's an outlier but create something straight out of university like if I look back out of into my own personal entrepreneurial journey I think there was a few formative experiences that got me to the point where I was ready to take it on um, I think in my own story I started in a really conventional job accountancy in London you know as generic as it could possibly have been based on my background I had the opportunity to go to New Zealand I thought I'd only go for a year but I ended up there for four and a half five years worked in Saatchi and Saatchi started to work on innovation but I think just taking myself out of my comfort zone going to a brand new place where nobody knew me my educational background had no idea you know it's just it was just that thing I think and it and it was such a positive energetic and um, practical mindset over there and I think that really rubbed off on me how do you go from you know so, you know um, I mean look when I took accountancy courses in university, those were like the most dull words. Yeah. <laughs> like I, like I hated them. Every, I don't know. There, there was few people that I met that were like, "Oh, I can't wait to get to that accounting class." You yeah. know. So, no, no. How do you go from something that I think most people would kind of like think is like quite dry and very unentrepreneurial to you know what you're doing these days? Like, how does that happen? 
Well, like most people, I, I didn't have a clue really what I was going to do after university. And I wanted to study history. I, I studied history at university. but So I joined a leading accountancy firm in the UK, which ran a scholarship scheme. So you, I didn't want to go straight to university. I wanted to travel. So therefore, I needed to earn some money before I traveled. So I joined what they called this scholarship scheme. And you joined with the graduates that you know, the big graduate intake following university. And then I was employed by this company during my university holidays, which helped to fund my university. And I, I finished university, finished three years doing history and thought, what do I do with history? I don't want to be a history teacher. And I thought accountancy would be a good uh, three years to get some business, you know, know-how and experience onto my CV before I really figured it out. But I would say after about six months, everything you were talking about then it was dry and I knew it wasn't for me I wasn't feeling fulfilled uh, you know it was it was the wrong place to sort of expend my energy just straight out of university so packed it in moved to New Zealand found a job I think I told my mum I was going for a year and ended up staying for five and just absolutely loved it met my wife in New Zealand the team I was in were all taken and moved to New York. So I had another two, two and a half years in New York, which for similar reasons and different reasons was also just absolutely awesome, like the bars and the energy, but also professionally the opportunity to work with some of the biggest and coolest brands in the world on their innovation strategies. That also gave me a little bit of insight, um, inspiration. You know, they did some things brilliantly, but I also, as an innovator, um, I think you also see the frustrations and how long they can take to get to certain decisions. And it gave me the confidence to try this stuff for myself. So about seven, seven and a half years away from home, moved back to the UK to start Bulldog in 2006. And, and you know, if I was to think back to where I could have been, if I decided to stick it out at accountancy, it would be a much poorer existence, I would think. I don't mean financially, I just mean being unfulfilled doing something I wouldn't have loved, but I could easily have seen myself getting sort of trapped into that mindset, living in London, staying with the same friends I knew from school and university and sort of working myself up a big firm. I'm so pleased that I didn't do that. And I sort yeah. of tried to do something else. And I think it's so inspirational too, because I bet a lot of people, you know, listening um, aren't entrepreneurs, but would like to be entrepreneurs. They might be in a job like accountancy or something else, which is traditionally considered, you know, more risk averse and not the entrepreneurial type, but um, you're definitely, you know, breaking the mold and demonstrating that um, you can, you know, completely switch tracks, right? How did you personally, how did you, um, was risk aversion a thing for you or did it not really factor in? Was it easy just to, you know, assume the risk of starting your own thing? Well, yeah, I think so. Like, I don't, I don't want to be glib about that. Like, I think if you sit down rationally and try and list out all of the reasons why it doesn't make sense to start a male skincare company, there'd be so many, you know, resource, big companies, difficult space. That traditionally wasn't a space that had grown that much before we started. So there's thousands of reasons to say no. But ultimately, you just have to back your conviction. You have to, I think you have to think, I have a vision for where I think this category is going to go. And I think some enough consumers to make a viable business will see this over time and join this space. Hmm. And you just, you just have to make a start. And I, I think... Um, do you think, you know, do, 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 do you think, sorry, jump in, but I just want to pull on this thread a little bit. I'm just curious your point of view on this. Do you think that you as an entrepreneur 
that you um, that you view risk in the same way, but you are better at figuring out ways to protect the downside of that risk? Or do you think fundamentally that you just don't think, you know, things are as risky as the average person, you know, views them to be? I think it's the latter. I think fundamentally, I don't see it as risky because I think, you know, I, I, I loved my career and I left a really good job. And I thought, what is the worst that can happen? I can start a business and it goes bankrupt in two or three years. Like what I've, 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 I've had a go at this thing that I've always been interested in. And perhaps that is less, it may disrupt my career. Perhaps I'd be able to plug back into a big agency with all of this additional learning that I've had and experience and uh, opportunity to have tried new things. Perhaps I even plug back into a big career, to, 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 to a conventional job higher up the ladder anyway. Like seriously, what's the downside? Perhaps there's a bigger risk waking up at 45, 50, having always wanted to try something and then just thinking, oh, it's too late because I'm trapped into a mortgage or I'm, I'm sort of supporting a big family at this point. So I really thought it's now or never, you know, like, you know, in, in my personal life, I, I think I was reaching a point having lived away from home for seven years thinking, what country am I going to live in? And, you know, I had a girlfriend who I wanted to propose to. I, I wanted to have a family. So I thought, you know, at this point, I'm sort of 26, 27, 28. Like, yeah. we really should get started on this because I have I have a window of time where we can scrimp and sort of live in bed sits. I lived on a building site for a bit. You know, you can't really do that when you've got kids or, you know, not as easily. So, so I did feel, come on, come on, man. You have to give this a go. Like, you know, you're running out of time if you want to try this. So... That was yeah. an incentive to try. The other, the other thing I'd say is, you know, the number of people in, let's call them conventional jobs that I've met while I've done Bulldog and latterly while I'm doing Waken who say, hey, can I, can I come and talk with you? It could be friends, um, could be people that just get in touch. I always try and make myself available. It's, I've got this idea. They've got brilliant ideas. More often than not, they are great ideas. And the number of people I think I've met who have great ideas who don't even make a start you know, I think partly it's just about having a crack, having the courage and your conviction to, right, I'm going to put down tools on my career for a year and give this a go for a year, sprint at this, see how much I can do. And then make, then make a decision about, do I want to stick with this? Or I don't want, do I just, you know, I don't want to be too proud to pack something in that isn't working and go back to what I was doing before. But most people don't even make a start. So that is such a sad fact. And I think this is a really like important insight that, you know, we're talking about here, you know, again, um, you know, somebody listening right now could probably be thinking that, well, yeah, the reason I haven't started something is because I can't figure out how to make it less risky. But what we're saying, and I can totally relate to what you're, what you're saying as well as an entrepreneur, it wasn't that I was good at um, de-risking things. It was more that I didn't perceive the risk to be, you know, as big as, you know, the average person perceives it to be. I think that's far more powerful because what we're actually talking about there is that you have a belief that even if the worst happens, that you'll just pick yourself back up, right? Um, Instead of trying to only move if you can eliminate all of that from happening. That That is so right. And I also think you've got a risk from a slightly different perspective of there's a certain mindset where people think they have to understand everything about a problem or a business opportunity before they make a start and I think that totally misses the point I think you need to make a start create a concept get it into market to really start the learning you know with with Waken with Bulldog if you are not open to change learning 
adding subtracting like slightly changing your, your your direction of travel like you've got so much rich insight when you actually start that's the period where you should be really learning like too many people try and do too much research and take too much time to sort of de-risk success you know de- sorry de-risk failure because they can sort of do this research phase up front like that misses the point you need to do enough to get going with a sense of purpose but then you've really got to open your eyes really learn really try and understand what's working or isn't to sort of perfect your proposition so you don't need to have all the answers before you start and also you don't need to be a domain expert in almost any part of what you're doing like I think you just have to believe that you can be good with people and you can collaborate your way to success whether that's through building a great team or if you have like when we did with Bulldog not that much resource identifying consultants third parties companies that you can work with to take a a big complex problem, break it down into lots of different bits and then find experts to work with to solve all of those little bits and roll it up into something that works. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's, that, that's the thing that I've always comforted myself with is that no matter you know, what venture I want to start or new thing that I want to do, that you know, I almost think of it as like matter is neither created nor destroyed in the sense that all the expertise that I need to make whatever this business is a flying success, it already exists, right? It exists mm within people, you know, books, knowledge out there. And so the only thing that we need to do as entrepreneurs is be the, you know, the, the masterful kind of coach or orchestrator or conductor and kind of find it all, stitch it all two together, right? And make it work. Yeah, it's like getting the right people to do the right things at the right time. Yeah, That's what exactly. you've got to do. Yeah. So, okay, so let's go back to, uh, very cool. So let's go back to, so Bulldog, um, so you, 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 you well, d- just describe for those that don't know, Bulldog, what were its main kind of products? You know, what were you doing we, there? We, start, we, we made uh, brilliant, naturally formulated, sustainably manufactured skincare products for men. Latterly, we've also added razors and blades, deodorant, shower gels, but it all started off in skincare. We wanted to compete with the likes of Nivea and L'Oreal. So really ferment change in this category. Hitherto, this was a category that perhaps only about 15% of men were using skincare versus 80, 90% of women. So something wasn't working with these massive established brands and companies. Mm-hmm. So the, the idea with Bulldog was to bring um, sustainable and natural thinking to the male skincare place, but space, but to do it in a way that would attract men into this category for the first time. So we did that through almost simplifying and demystifying this space for people that hadn't used these products before. You know, often uh, sort of wellness or sort of better for you entrepreneurs at the moment, they take a category that is working and then just offer an eco alternative to a behavior that is understood. And that, that's a brilliant thing to do. I think the, the challenge with Bulldog was a bit different because the category wasn't really working. Part of our job was to attract new people into this space for the first time. So that was something that we did. I mean, the idea for it came in New York. Annabelle, my wife, sent me out to Whole Foods to get a skincare product for her. I loved Whole Foods. It was like cool, vibrant, full of all the stuff that I was interested in, sort of natural and sustainable. But it was like a real buzzy, energetic place. I went to the Union Square store like December 2005, it was freezing cold to get this naturally formulated skincare product for her. And I thought, I'm going to get moisturizer for myself. Couldn't find it. Spoke to the whole body, Whole Foods. 
sort of shop team like where is your male skincare section and it's like oh we don't have one and I was like oh that's interesting so like what do you do when men want skincare products and they say well we we recommend this product from Waleda or this product from kiss my face they're sort of typically female brands and I was like ah oh, you know that's what a lot of entrepreneurs will say I think there's a gap in the market here no one is doing this if it's not in New York City in Whole Foods maybe it doesn't exist and then with my friend Rodri who was my business partner in Bulldog and is my business partner in Waken I think that first six months for us was trying to validate there's a gap in the market here but is there a market in the gap and could we create products and do that in a way that where we could make a business out of this space like what would that involve and we were doing that while we were both working and then it got to the point where like we have to commit to this like this really exciting let's just do this let's raise some money visa wise we moved back to the uk got it going found a factory started speaking to retailers 2000 june 2007 six products started in sainsbury's which is a big grocer over here for the first time and we sort of worked from there and what were your most um looking back at your uh, we're going to get to waken um what you're currently doing it in a moment but just sticking with bulldog because this to me this feels like it really was your entrepreneurial training ground and um <clears throat> that being the case uh there was probably a much higher percentage of mistakes in that experience than there was yeah. that, that there is in waken so what were your most valuable mistakes during the bulldog time I don't, I, we didn't get our packaging right. Um, so we had three or four goes, at, I think, optimizing the presentation to consumers and sort of really understanding what was working. But back to what I was saying before, that was always the, the idea as well, to get these products going and then to learn as we go. So if you did a focus group, which is how big consumer products companies think about innovation, why aren't men using skincare? I doubt a single person would have said yes, but if there was a naturally formulated one named after a dog, I would definitely give it a go. Like no one is saying that. So you, you are sort of making a bit of a leap, but you know, the downside of changing your packaging is you, you're itching to do it because it's a better way of communicating your, you know, your features and benefits and values and purpose to consumers, but it leaves a big warehouse full of obsolete stock. So that was quite an expensive change to make. I think we also weren't focused enough when we started. We started with six products, but that included a, a shower gel, a shampoo, shaving, skincare. I think we worked out before we could go broad, we had to really win and create something that had really real momentum in just one product category. So after a couple of years, we sort of decided, let's really focus on skincare. So for us, that meant moisturizer and face wash. So men who were, say, a bit cynical about, oh, skincare is not for me, we would say, don't worry about everything else. Just try these two steps. Wash your face, moisturize your face. It takes about the same time to do that as it does to brush your teeth. You definitely have time. And if you just make this small positive step, but a small step, but you just do it every day, your skin will sort of thank you over the long term. You'll start to sort of like have healthier skin. So that that added a lot of focus to the business. And with that came economies of scale. And we were able to sort of uh, improve our cost profile. That meant we could invest more. Um, I think what I'd wished I'd done with Bulldog if in a position to do that would be to recruit experts into the team more quickly. Like I think Roger and I were a bit guilty of trying to do everything ourselves not really finding quickly enough the right balance between what bit should we do ourselves and what bit should we put people in who are frankly better than us and get better at sort of building a team and delegating. So I think that was a, a sort of learning thing for both of us. But partly that was to do with resource. You know, we couldn't 
we started with you know we raised about a million pounds which sounds like a lot of money but for sort of professional people that sort of are involved in investing in brands it's a tiny amount of money to launch a brand with and that was pretty much the only fundraising we ever did so we really set ourselves the challenge of figuring out how to make bulldog profitable and scaling within our own means so we didn't build a huge team or have huge marketing ahead of sales everything had to we generated everything through figuring out a profitable model and then scaling a profitable model and we just we sort of grew grew headcount grew marketing expense through that Beautiful, beautiful. And, and so entrepreneurship and innovation, obviously, they go hand in hand, which is uh, most certainly why um, that was the curriculum that you developed there. Yeah. Seven years that you were quite enamored with, as you said earlier, when you were teaching. Um, so is there a formula for innovation? Uh, I don't know if there's a formula where, it, where, you know, scientifically do this, do this, do this, and, and you always get an answer. But one of the things that we taught at um, the new college of the humanities was it's a combination of vision opportunity and desire so if you can imagine a like a venn diagram with three overlapping circles you're really looking for your brand idea to sit in the middle of those three circles and we we spent time in in during during that university period unpacking what that meant and what i mean by that is you've got the founder's vision like what are you trying to do what are you trying to do that's different what are you anticipating you've got the the category opportunity where is the gap in the market you're trying to understand uh, the role that you can play meaningful differentiation is i think what you're looking for there like it's one thing to be different to the category but you need to be different and relevant like you need to be doing yeah. something that people are going to want to um, support financially and then it's consumer desire you know do people actually want to buy this and the best the best brands sort of sit at that confluence between vision opportunity and desire so if there's a formula at least to defining what you're doing that would be part of it and then i think um you need to hit it with discipline determination it's not a formula but i think a common success factor is tenacity not giving up work ethic um and then i think you also have to be a great collaborator good with people so that you can sort of work out what you're not good at and then work out people that you can work with to get it done and then i think you have to be sort of flexible nimble and not too proud because you're developing something which you're really proud of and you have to be totally prepared to listen and understand what's working what isn't and then change it as you go so I'm not quite sure whether that's a formula, but those would be, I think, common factors no, that, yeah. that would sort of help with the process. No, no, yeah, I, I, I like it. And as you were talking, I was thinking about um, going back to um, my Skype days um, when we were building that before we sold it to eBay. You know, so vision, the whole world can talk for free. Yeah. Opportunity. There wasn't, there wasn't a good, you know, voice over IP a client, you know, with video you know, on the market at the time, desire, do, do people want to talk for free? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's like tick, tick, tick all there. Right. So, yeah. Um, so it passes the Skype test. Um, okay. So we got Bulldog, we exit, sell it to um, Edgewell, uh, personal care. Um, what <clears throat> take, did, did you already have Waken in mind? Was that like, okay, we just uh, rid of this to do that or, you know, how did that happen? I did not have Waken in mind when we sold Bulldog. I was I was 100% focused on Bulldog. And in the run-up to the sale, you know, I'd spent a lot of time in America. We At that point, we were 
the number one men's brand in that whole foods natural speciality channel just you know i'd been in chicago with walgreens minneapolis with target you know all over the place and i was building out opportunities to cross over into you know food drug and mass in america which was hugely exciting and we were starting to worry that perhaps our capacity to supply and all the operational parts we, we, we were sort of building a bigger business than we could support so there was it was an opportune that these big companies started to look to partner with us and we thought it was the right thing to do with the brand but i was i was myopic on bulldog really and then i had this two two great years working with the folks at edgewell taking bulldog around the world we went from 12 to 35 countries it was it was a cool thing to do but i was sort of itching to do something else and i think you know there was i remember walking around big retailers all over the world um and and you can you know people can do that themselves i don't think there's sort of like it wasn't really a data-led approach to sort of finding a new territory we would just walk around stores and go right this this category has been done there's some really cool interesting disruptive brands in there this category has been done and then you got to mouthwash and it was like wow this is a huge category that I think has looked the same for like 20 years. You're like so no right. one, no like, one as, is. Yeah. As you it's say so that. boring, right? It's, it's like same. Listerine. Yeah. Yeah. And, and um, it's the same in Target. It's the same in Carrefour. It's the same in Boots in the UK. Yeah. And, and then I looked at Mouthwash and I was like, oh, that's interesting. Like no one's doing anything interesting in Mouthwash. And, then you, and I started to like look at some of the data you know, just, just stuff that's ready available on the internet. And it's fast, like compared to when we started within skincare, it's like, you know, I think I said something like 20% of men use male skincare products um, and that's going up, but it's about 20%. Mouthwash is used by 50% of adult men and adult women. Toothpaste is used by like 95%. Then dental is a fast, fast category. And then things that personally interested to me, sustainability, mm. natural ingredients, beautiful design, this category is bereft of well, most environmental thinking. You know, beauty's yeah. been transformed by sustainable brands, indie brands, natural ingredients. Like you cannot, you you cannot like enter a store without tripping over about ten brands that are all on this space, and that's brilliant because that's where the world needs to go. Like dental, like take a typical Colgate mouth, uh, toothpaste tube. The way that's formulated, that's going straight to landfill. You know mm. that that those products are not recycled. It's like one and a half billion of those go do not get recycled but purchased in america every year it's like 300 million in the uk like you look at a sort of a typical mouthwash bottle black plastic caps that's not getting recycled so it's a category that is not thinking about the environment or or you know another another example mint mint is the go-to flavor in dental there's not a single major dental brand that uses real mint it's completely artificial really they, yeah, I mean, so, they even do this in shampoo now right they have right real so yeah so it's like you just i was thinking like you just cannot get away you just could not get away in beauty with how the dental brands yeah. are sort of offering consumers products like everything's synthetic nothing is sustainable and the other thing is they're just so ugly so it's like when i moved house sort of I probably moved house 2017 I was unpacking my bathroom and it sort of this is again sort of what was stimulating me to think about mouthwash and it was I had like this old mouthwash you know like where you you drink it out of the cup you put the cup on all the mouthwash would sort of 
smear down the shoulders of the bottle. It got dusty. It was so disgusting. And I think a lot of the time people hide these products away like headache pills. And when they, when they feel like they've got an issue, they reach for the mouthwash that sits at the back of the bathroom cabinet. We thought, what if we could create these products that are just so beautiful that you want to display them on your, you know, your bathroom cabinet? Um, wouldn't that be cool? You know, like people are at home so much more now, sort of as a result of, you know, the changes in work habits, you know, sort of brought about by the lockdowns and all that sort of stuff. Like bathrooms have become havens. Like people think about them as their Instagram studios, like create products that are, that are dental, like really hardworking, brilliant, effective dental products, but just make them beautiful. Like it seems so obvious, but it was just so lacking in dental. So that was like the, that was sort of, it just felt like, wow, low interest category. And, and we just need to make high interest products. And I think that's the thing. Like, I hate it when people say, oh, it's a low interest product. I said, no, no, it's like, it's the fault of the major brands that they've made this category low interest. Let's make high interest products that people can really get behind and feel excited by for the first time in that space. And that's what we're trying to do with Wake Up. Love it. I absolutely love it because, <clears throat> you know, there's, there's a couple of different, you know, so you've gone from accountancy yeah, you know, people consider quite dull, right? To yeah. entrepreneurship, you prove you've proven that that can be done, and then you've taken what nobody even thinks of, frankly, as a category, mm. right? And said, "Look, this can be shaken up," and not only that, but it needs to be shaken up, right? Because the fact that these these big brands don't have anybody challenging them, you know, all the artificial ingredients, the massive carbon footprint. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the single use plastic that you're talking about, it's like nobody is doing anything. And these are high usage products, meaning that there is a lot of stuff that's going into the landfill because we consume it so often, right? Yeah, people are, you know, people are looking for ways that they can be more sustainable and sympathetic to the planet. You know, and you see that with, you know, avoiding uh, meat, you know, sort of, you know, from vegans to just like people who just have a couple of meat free days. And I think how you, the brands that you support on your if products that you use every day is just a great way to do that. You know, it's not, it, everybody should be brushing their teeth every day. If you just opt for, you know, we have aluminium tubes that can be recycled. If you just opt for a product that is just a little bit better and everybody did that, that would make a huge impact when it's all rolled up. It feels like a little thing, but it's, it's the same sort of behavior as walking rather than taking your car or dodging meat for a couple of days or perhaps taking one less flight. It's just all of these small things matter. I think the other thing we saw with Bulldog, you know, we launched a bamboo razor and now we've got a, a razor where the handle is made from recycled glass from beer bottles and all of the packaging was in cardboard again sounds really obvious but if you sort of cast your mind to how you imagine this razor blade shelf it's like everything's plastic and then the the handle is on a sort of plastic sleigh that's wrapped in this plastic oyster pack which is almost impossible to open it's like plastic 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 so we launched this the first brand to launch a sort of bamboo and metal razor in cardboard it was like dramatically less plastic and we're still not a massive brand when it comes to shaving but you go to the supermarkets now every single brand like Gillette all of their packaging is in cardboard I'm not saying that we they, they would say that's done for that I can't speak on their behalf but we were the first brand to do that and I think you can almost tip the much bigger companies into thinking more sustainably and offering 
consumers more sustainable products just by being a thought leader in the space. There needs to be a thought leader to try and ferment and precipitate positive change. And Waken, you know, well, it will take a long time for us to have be, be a meaningful share player, but by, by sort of creating these high interest products that offer people something different, we can nudge the bigger companies to more positive behavior. And that would be brilliant because it's like a burning problem at the moment, the lack of sustainability in this particular part of personal care, because they're products that people use morning and evening, and they have so much, you know, they're so broadly used versus other products, and they're sort of fundamental to teeth health. So okay. ho hopefully we sort of trigger a bit more positive and a bit more action and urgency in some other people too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and I just want to drive, you know, underscore the point um, you know, again, people who are listening, um, if you use mouthwash, you, you got to try, try this product, right? Try wake and mouthwash because you're not just going to be, um, it, you, you literally will be helping the planet, you know, by doing so. Um, and, you know, perhaps find a, uh, a new product that you like better as well. Um, now, uh, Simon, I, you know, somebody listening can be like, okay, yeah, but Simon's not like me. Um, uh, He's just, you know, a serial entrepreneur. Um, he's just hitting, you know, home run after home run. You, you had some great success, but I'm sure you've had plenty of down moments too. So can you take us through your most recent example of, you know, discomfort, you know, professionally or something that um, didn't make you feel all that great, um, you know, a bit of a, a knockdown perhaps? Well, I mean, the big, the big challenge that we've had at Waken is, partly timings you know we launched in november 2019 and from march april the world has changed and it's it's exactly the wrong time to be launching a sort of niche natural sustainable product into these big retailers because the, rightly so these retailers are focused on feeding families very quickly sort of doing everything online you know massively less people in their businesses you know less store hours so there was definitely a period where we just weren't getting any orders that was a bit daunting i think there's been some things with waken where we've underemphasized some important things on the first iterations of the products we've um haven't really told the story of mints like these intensely refreshing natural mints um i think for some I think for our core consumer, I think what we're learning is we, we're absolutely resonating brilliantly, but to perhaps take away some barriers for a broader audience who are perhaps more wedded to the traditional brands, we need to tell our efficacy story a bit better. It's a bit hard to discover on the pack. So there's definitely been, you know, the way that we've launched the product, we could have done that better. Um, and we're way behind our plan now in terms of where we thought we'd be selling. Um, so like any entrepreneur, we are keeping a sort of tight view on cash and making sure that we're going to be able to get this into enough places to, to sort of do it in a way that means we can sustain our business. I tell you, at the moment, the big challenge is internationally. I thought we would be in a lot more places around the world, but um, ongoing challenges on sort of shipping containers around and the costs associated with that being so much higher is making the whole business development challenge um, a lot harder. And within the team, you know, we've got experts doing our supply chain and formulation and marketing and influencer marketing. And the bit that I personally am taking on are trying to go to all of the retailers that I know through 
internationally through the bulldog period where we were expanding to all these countries and get wake and listing and i thought i'd have done a much better job at that in terms of having more international distribution more quickly based on the head start that perhaps i have through sort of historical conversations but i've just not delivered on a, on a few things that i was confident that i was going to do so yeah i mean i'm i'm totally learning and sort of very aware of my own failings when it comes to like reviewing everybody's progress within the team but just keep chipping away we've got a few exciting things coming we're launching in korea we're launching in singapore um we're hopefully launching in australia so so we are making some headway now but it's definitely been a bit lean versus where i thought it would be very exciting though very exciting so what um just to wrap up here what would um what would you say is one thing that you believe that that few others Well, I think that you can make this dental category high interest, I think, for the first time. People, sh people shop it on autopilot. It's the same brands that our parents, probably our grandparents, would have bought. And, I, and it absolutely baffles me why it's not a huge focus for entrepreneurs and other big companies around the world to try and bring the trends that you see in beauty and other places to this space so perhaps the one thing is i just see an opportunity for cool independent natural and sustainable brands to get to scale in this space perhaps it's that yeah and there's and, and there's probably plenty of other um categories that if people just open their eyes look around as you did just walk through a store walk walk around your neighborhood you know, what, what looks kind of the same? What hasn't changed for a very long time? Because it sounds very much that that's what you did. You kind of walked through the store, you walked through the aisles and said, okay, well, what, what, needs, uh, what needs a change here? What needs some vibrancy? What needs a fresh perspective? Yeah, I was looking for a huge but entirely boring and stagnant category, something yeah. where there hasn't been anything interesting for 10 years. And that's a good place to start. You know, if you're starting in female skincare then it's a very vibrant innovative led um hugely cool area and i love it but it's there's a lot going on like perhaps one of the things you might want to do is find a space where there isn't very much going on things have been the same and the big companies are really doing everything they can to keep it that way and that's where you can be really disruptive okay okay and then last question a little bit more fundamental if you could just leave people with um well, if you could just share one success secret with the world, something something that you believe would help unlock you know, people's potential, help them become part of that 2%, reflecting on your own life and experiences, what would that be? It would be determination and the confidence to give something a go. Like, I really want to emphasize that when we started Bulldog and then latterly when we started Waken, I am not an expert in male skincare and with dental, I am not a dentist, right? And, and um, you're up against huge companies that hold all the cards and you just have to give it a go. And once you've given it a go, be determined. Um, have confidence in yourself. If you believe that there's an opportunity and that you see the world a bit different and you can anticipate where you think this category will be, in five years in 10 years if you think you're seeing something that other people haven't seen yet just back yourself have the courage to quit your job 
and just have a crack at something entrepreneurial for a few years. And, and as we were talking before, there is risk associated with that. But I think the bigger risk is that you find yourself 20 years from now just wishing that you'd done something a bit braver and you sort of took the safe option. Better to have tried and failed than to never have tried at all, right? A hundred percent. I would totally agree with that. Wonderful. Simon, super, super happy to uh, have you on the show today. Um, love all the little gems that we kind of uncovered there. And uh, I'm sure people find it very, very valuable. And um, yeah, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you so much for having me. That's been good. Cheers. I know you're going to absolutely love my next interview with Philip Stutz. You can find it right here. Just check it out. Click there. This is a man who helped win three presidential elections. You're going to want to check out that discussion. I'll see you there. Click the link.